You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. All right, please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The scripture that was read before the break. Today we are continuing our series on parenting called Building a House for the Lord. This is part three of this mini-series and uh, we will have two or three more sermons in this series. How does God's mission advance in the world? We know that God is on a mission to save and to seek the lost from every nation. He's renewing cultures And he's transforming society so that more and more people worship him as the one true and living God. He's sending out evangelists, missionaries, gospel workers, and church planters to bring the gospel to the lost. God is on a mission to renew his creation through his people until Christ returns and this age of sin and suffering finally comes to a close. Our text today reminds us that one of the ways that God accomplishes his mission is through parenting. Eternal realities are shaped through the day-to-day discipleship that happens in our homes as we raise up our children in the Lord. That happens as our children themselves come to believe the gospel and to accept Christ as their Savior and Lord, but it also happens as we establish strong and godly families that each shine like cities on a hill to bear witness to gospel truth and beauty. The book of Deuteronomy is about how God's mission would advance in the world. As Israel is on the precipice of completing their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and entering the promised land, the challenge for them would be twofold. How would they maintain their identity as God's distinct covenant people while also bearing witness to the nations that their God was the only true God? And one of this book's answers to that question is that it would be through godly word-centered parenting. The same is true today in what we could call a modern-day Canaan in which we live. God has sent us into a land that is full of the nations. And these nations each worship their own gods. And they would say, perhaps, to us that we all worship the same God. Let's all just get along and say that all truth belongs to each of us. But the challenge for us as a church, as Christians, as families is to maintain our distinct identity as God's holy people while bearing witness to the nations that our God and our God alone is worthy of worship. And one of the ways that we do this is by passing God's word on to our children. God's mission advances when our families are built on the Bible. The people of God are preserved. God's mission in the world advances when parents faithfully teach their children the Bible. The title of this sermon then is simply Building on the Bible. We're going to have three points today. First, teach and talk. Second, take care. 
And third, tell the story. Now Moses has three central exhortations in this chapter. He calls Israel to fear the Lord, to love the Lord, and to obey the Lord. To fear, to love, and to obey. These are three separate but interrelated concepts. Moses calls Israel to fear the Lord in verses 2, 13, and 24. To, to fear the Lord is, is both an attitude and an action. It is reverential submission. It, it is trembling at God's word while obeying it. The command to love the Lord is found in verse 5, where God calls Israel to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. We know that verse well because Jesus cited it when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? We said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, which is like it. Verse 2 is a good example of the connection between fearing God, loving God, and obeying God. It says that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. How? How do we fear the Lord? By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. And so we, we see that we can't obey God if we don't love God. We, we don't really fear the Lord if we don't keep his commandments. It's important for us to remember that all three go together, to fear the Lord, love the Lord, and obey the Lord, because as parents, we can incline to pick and choose what we want to pass on to our kids, depending on what our preferences are or what our personalities are like. Some parents are all about obedience. These are the the parents who may be inclined to authoritarian rule in the home. They say, God said it, so do it. We obey the commands because God commanded them. Other parents are all about love, about the personal relationship. Oh, kids, it doesn't matter how you live as long as you love the Lord. Well, God's word tells us that we need to care equally about all three. To teach our kids to obey God means nothing if they don't love God. And to teach our kids to love God means nothing if they don't obey God. Love and obedience must always go together in the Christian life. I mean, Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we are to raise our kids to follow Jesus, we must teach them loving obedience. That begins with the truth contained within verse 4, where Moses writes, hear O Israel, he's actually preaching a sermon. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is what the Jews call the Shema. It's a sacred daily prayer of dedication to the Lord and a fresh reminder that their allegiance belongs to Yahweh, to the God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to Moses. This is a reminder that God does not exist in many different forms. God doesn't manifest himself as a fire on Monday and as a golden calf on Tuesday and as a wooden statue on Wednesday. He doesn't reveal himself in one way to Israel and another way to the Canaanites. He is one. God is one. He is a perfect singularity, a divine being who has never changed and will never change. 
And so as Israel prepared to encounter different nations and to, to encounter the worship of different gods, they were to hold fast to God as he had revealed himself in Scripture through the prophets. The same is true for us today. I mean, we are surrounded by nations that worship different gods, and many of them would say we all worship the same God. We just understand a different part of him, like blind men and women touching different parts of an elephant and thinking, whoa, this is a tree trunk, and oh, this is like a long hose, and this is, you know, this feels like this and that, and, and lo and behold, it's just one big elephant. But what if that elephant speaks and reveals who he truly is? God has spoken in his word that he is one. And he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is only to be worshipped as he has revealed himself, spoken himself to be. And so we must raise our children up in the Lord by teaching them to give their exclusive allegiance to the God of Scripture. Now the practical question here is how do we do that? What, what does it look like for us to pass those truths and values on to our children? Well, verse 6 says that it starts with the parents. It says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Moses is speaking to the parents. That, that, that generation that started off as kids before the 40 years of exile began. And their parents, the men of war, were banished to die in the desert because they failed to believe God's promise that he would deliver the promised land to them even though it was inhabited by nations that were stronger than them. These, these kids are now grown up and they are leading their own kids and preparing them to enter the promised land. And Moses is telling them that if God's word is going to pass on to their children, it must first pass through their own hearts. Parents, if God's word is going to pass on to our children, it must first pass through our hearts. That is the root of God's word that it must take to reach the next generation. It must pass through our own hearts first. Now, you may have tried the old parenting trick where you tell your kids, do what I say, but not what I do. Have you tried that before? You don't need me to tell you that that doesn't work. All it does is it teaches our kids to do the same. It teaches our kids that it's okay to live a double life. They can say one thing and do another because that's what mommy and daddy do. And imitation is the best instructor. God's word must pass through our hearts and transform our lives before we can expect it to do the same in the lives of our children. Now, verse 7 tells us how that happens. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What I love about this verse is there is both structure and spontaneity. Some of us are going to be inclined to routine. We like to plan out our days and know exactly how everything's going to unfold. Others of us, including myself, we're actually more spontaneous. We, we, we spontaneously come up with ideas and, and we like to lead a little bit more impulsively. But both are recognized here and both are equally essential to passing on the word to our kids. On the one hand, we are to teach God's word 
diligently to our children. To teach diligently. To teach is to go about a program of systematic and intentional instruction to build up the knowledge in our children's minds. We do this, you could say, in the regular patterns of our days, the routines that we have as families. When we read the Bible with our kids, whether it be at the breakfast table or after dinner or at bedtime, or we're walking them through a catechism or we introduce hymns to them that we sing together as a family that are filled with rich truths of God's word. That's all teaching our children diligently. But we are also to talk, to talk. We shall teach diligently and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. I mean, that sounds like what we do with our smartphones, right? The first thing that we see when we wake up and the last thing that we see when we go to bed. But, but God's word says that that's what we should be doing with the Bible. Whatever we may be doing, whether we are rising or we are walking or we are sitting or when we are lying down, we are to take every opportunity we have to talk to our kids about God's word. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going around citing Bible verses to get them to do what we want. This is a vision of of naturally and organically taking opportunities as they arise to speak to our kids about God's word, to show them the beauty, the truth, and the goodness of the Bible. Perhaps when you wake up in the morning, once in a while you, you lead your kids to pray the Lord's Prayer, to teach them to seek God's will, to seek God's glory, and to seek God's forgiveness, forgiveness and provision. Or when, when you're on a hike admiring the beautiful fall colors that we're surrounded by, you, you encourage your kids to, hey kids, look at what God has made. This isn't an accident. This isn't just reminding us that we're so privileged to live in a country like Canada. This is God's work. And the heavens and the earth declare his glory. His, his glory fills the earth including here amongst these trees. When you're tucking your kids in at bedtime, you're not just rushing through it so that you can get to the rest of the hockey game. You're reminding them that God made them and that God loves them. Verse seven encourages us to take every opportunity we have to point our kids to God's word. And that includes taking every opportunity to point our kids to God's commands. Our our children should never have any question in their minds of what God has commanded them to do. And it it goes beyond just read your Bible every day. It it goes beyond the spiritual disciplines. If, If one of your kids steals something from a classmate at school and the principal calls you, you don't just lecture your kid and say, hey, we taught you better than that. You know that that's wrong. You should know better. You don't stop there. You, you tell them, you, you make reference to God's word. You say, God commanded us that we shall not steal. And he gave us that command for, for our good and for the good of those around us. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves when we take what belongs to them. Or when your kids are fighting over the same toy, which will happen on a daily basis if you have more than one child, you don't just tell them that, oh, kids, sharing is caring. You tell them that God calls them to love one another and to humble themselves to put the interests and needs of others above and beyond their own. 
My friends, this is why God's word has to pass through our hearts first before it can get to our children. If it's not in our hearts, then in the day-to-day parenting opportunities that arise, we'll have nothing biblical to say to our kids. But if God's word is in our hearts, then it will come out naturally and organically and beautifully, whether we're sitting, walking, lying down, or rising. And we'll always have reason to point them back to God's word. But if you're a parent like me, you know that there are challenges to living like this, aren't there? It could be laziness. We don't have the willpower to do it. It could be ignorance. We, we just don't know what this is meant to look like. But our text gives us two barriers in particular that we need to take special care in not letting them keep us from passing God's word on to our children. And that leads to our second point, to take care. The first barrier is found in verses 10 to 12. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the first barrier to pointing our kids to God's word. It is prosperity. Prosperity is the first barrier to intentional discipleship of our children. Fullness leads to forgetfulness. It was their prosperity that led Israel to idolatry. The fuller we are of God's blessings the easier it becomes for us to forget God's commands because we convince ourselves that we don't need God anymore. Or we live a certain way apart from God's commands and we say God's not gonna do what he warned us he would do if we would depart from his law. The problem with the human heart is that we always find something to worship. We we give up the worship of God, we're gonna worship something else. What we end up worshiping is the work of our own hands. I mean, that's what physical idols were. They were the works of human hands. And today, we may not have physical wooden statues, but we still worship the work of our own hands, whether it be our businesses or our careers or our reputations or our homes. We we worship created things rather than the creator. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that prosperity opens up unique temptations to do that. Now we know that there's nothing wrong with prosperity per se. And Paul says in 1 Timothy that it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil and not money itself. And even in these verses, God is the one who is giving them the houses that they did not fill, the cities that they did not build, cisterns that they did not dig, vineyards that they did not plant. God is giving them all these things as an act of his love and faithfulness. God's not blaming them for having all these things, but he is warning them about the unique temptations that having these things will bring. They will be tempted to forget him. And if they do forget God, they will forget God's word. And God's word will no longer pass through their hearts to their children because it is not in their hearts. Their hearts are too full 
of created things rather than of love for the creator. My friends, if we do not address the idolatry in our hearts, then it is only a matter of time before we convince ourselves that our children don't really need God and our children don't really need his word. I mean, as long as they have what the world says makes a happy life, a good job, a good house, a good family, and that's fine. Everything's going to work out. They are successful. We've done our jobs as their parents. But God's warning is clear in verses 13 to 15. It says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. Moses is warning us that the consequences of idolatry are devastating because we serve a God who is jealous for his own glory. The Lord our God, the Lord is one and he will not share his glory with another. Not with your career, not with your business, not with your reputation. Prosperity may last for a time, but it will come crashing down because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When it is not prosperity that's tempting us, it is adversity. Prosperity and adversity. That's the second barrier that keeps us from teaching and talking about God's word with our children. Verse 16 says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Massa, we also know that as Meribah. Two names for this one event as Israel left Egypt and God led them into the promised land. It's a reference to Exodus chapter 17 when Israel complained that there wasn't any water to drink. Moses, you led us into the wilderness to die. There's nothing for us here. If only we could go back to Egypt where we had water and bread and fish to eat, we'd prefer that over this, slavery over freedom. They put God to the test by forcing Moses to prove that God's word was true. I mean, how how arrogant can we get to demand of God, the maker of heaven and earth, to prove that his word is trustworthy? I mean, God doesn't owe us anything. God has nothing to prove to us. He He is God. He is the maker of the heavens and the earth. Everything belongs to him. And yet in his kindness, God provided for them. He gave them water from the rock as Moses struck it with the staff and satisfied their thirst. But here in verse 16, Moses tells them that they must not do so again. They must not put the Lord their God to the test by making him prove that his word is trustworthy. And so when we find ourselves in the desert of adversity... When we, when we find ourselves questioning whether God will provide, whether God's promises are true, when, we, when we, it seems that God has abandoned us in our lives, we must not put the Lord to the test either. If we do, if we say that we will trust God on the condition that he meets our expectations and demands, we're not going to pass on his word to our children because we don't trust it. We'll have too many questions and doubts about God's word to do so. Instead, we are challenged to have an unshakable confidence that what God says, God will do every time. 
These are the two barriers that Moses sets out in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that keeps us from raising our children in a household that is saturated by God's word, prosperity and adversity. They are threats to our souls and they are threats to our families. If we do not take care, they will keep us from trusting the Lord and they will keep us from discipling our children. This is a crucial chapter in the Bible, not just because it's teaching us about parenting, but because Jesus treated it as a central chapter in the Old Testament. And we already said that he cited verse five, love the Lord your God as the most important commandment. But Jesus also cites verse 13 and verse 16. Do you remember when he did that? In the wilderness, when Satan is there tempting Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus refers to this chapter. Satan said, worship me. And Jesus replies with verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Satan said, throw yourself off the temple and because God promised that his angels would bear you up and your foot would not hit the rocks. And Jesus replied with verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This chapter was deeply ingrained in the mind and the heart of our Savior. And if we are to follow Jesus, we must do the same. This is how our Lord defeated the temptations to stop trusting his Father and to doubt his Father's word. And we must take these truths deep into our minds and hearts as well. Lastly, we tell our children the story, the story of the gospel Look at verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? I love how this verse begins. When your son asks you in time to come. Most of us who are parents, we know how hard it is to engage in daily devotions because we often don't get the responses from our children that we want. I mean, it's quite quite typical in our household for me to be opening up the Bible and my boys are poking each other and giggling and they're they're getting up and walking around and and flopping on the couch. I got to summon them back to the table. And then then I, I start reading and they're kind of glazed eyes, and then you're finished, and they just run off and play. It doesn't, doesn't seem to make any difference. It seems like a lot of work for very little gain. But verse 20 reminds us that there is a time to come. There is a time to come when their little minds are not so little anymore, and they begin to ask questions. They begin to ask questions about, Daddy, why do we go to church every Sunday? Why do we practice baptism in the Lord's Supper? Why, why do we believe that marriage is only between one man and one woman? Why, why don't we just tell the people at the restaurant that we're a year younger so we can keep getting the kids' meal discount? Why do we spend all this time reading this ancient book instead of the New York Times bestsellers? Well, how do we respond to that? By just telling them, well, God said it, so we should do it. Do we respond by getting frustrated that they would have the the arrogance to question how we live as Christians? No. 
We respond like Moses tells us to respond in verses 21 to 23. We tell them the story. We tell them the story of God's redemption. Look at these verses. Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And so what we see is that the parents in Deuteronomy were supposed to answer their children with the story of the Exodus so that their obedience would always be rooted in their identity as God's redeemed people. This is how God's people were always meant to relate to the law. Why has God given us these commands? Why should we obey them? Well, we don't obey the law in order to become God's people by merit, We obey the law because God has already made us his people by grace. You think about the Ten Commandments. The pinnacle of the law of God, it does not begin with you shall have no other gods before me. It doesn't begin like that. It begins with I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Not obedience and then redemption. Redemption and then obedience. True obedience is always rooted in the grace of God. That was true then, and it is true now. The difference between us and Israel, of course, is that when our children ask us why we obey commands, we don't answer our children with stories about our exodus from Egypt. We answer them with stories about our exodus from sin. We tell them about how Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, has led his people through a greater exodus. We tell them that Jesus died on the cross as our sacrificial lamb so that God's judgment would pass over us. We tell them that Jesus rose on the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and he sent us his Holy Spirit in order to lead us out of the land of sin into a city without foundations, a city that cannot be shaken, a city whose planner and builder is God himself. When our sons and daughters ask us why, we tell them who. We tell them about Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, who came into the world to save us. In his commentary on Deuteronomy, Christopher Wright says this, the son asks about the law and is answered with a story, the old, old story of Yahweh and his love. The meaning of the law is to be found in the gospel. Parents, mothers and fathers, we have a distinct privilege and responsibility to pass on God's word to our children. But we do that by pointing them to the gospel, There there is nothing more important for us to do as parents than to help our children to situate their identity, their purpose, their comfort, their hope, their significance in the gospel. They want to know why we go to church every Sunday? Because Christ has come to save us. They want to know why we don't pay people back when they hurt us? Because Christ has come to save us. They want to know why we open up the Bible every day as a family because Christ has come to save us. This is our calling as parents. We are called to bring our children the gospel. 
Whatever our children are going through, whether they're experiencing joys or sorrows, triumphs or trials, faith or doubt, we point them to Christ again and again and again. We tell them the old, old story of Yahweh and his love fulfilled in the glorious, triumphant, disturbing picture of Christ on the cross who died on our behalf so that we could be restored as the children of God. Let me end with three points of application. Number one, feed yourself. Feed yourself. Moms and dads, love for the word has to start with you. In his classic work, the Reformed pastor, Richard Baxter, warned pastors not to starve themselves while they prepare food for others. And that is true for parents as well. We can only point our children to the food of God's word when we have feasted on it ourselves. I can tell you, as a pastor, if I did not spend daily time soaking and saturating in the truth and beauty and reality of God's word, I would have nothing to offer to you on Sunday mornings. I could give you practical tips for living life well, or when I'm not doing so well, I might beat you down with correction and harsh words, or I could inflate your ego with flattery and compliments, but I would have nothing of spiritual significance to nourish your souls. We need to feast before we can feed others. And that starts with regular Bible reading. If reading is hard for you, if you're like some of the guys I know who, as soon as you open up the Bible, it's like, it's like you're taking a sleeping pill and you, you start falling asleep. If it's hard for you, then, then listen to sermons. Or do, as some people do, they, they actually walk around reading God's word. It's hard to fall asleep when you're walking around, right? Listen to God's word being read and preached by pastors that you trust. Not the kinds of sermons that are always angry at the culture and talking about how wrong the world is, but the kinds of sermons that are seasoned with grace, that make you further know the deep love of Christ, that motivate you to bring the gospel to others. Feed yourself. Second, be consistent. Be consistent. Earlier this year, believe it or not, I started going for a jog three times a week. It was quite a challenge. It was very hard, and it remains difficult to this day. But there was this one particular day in the summer. I was on holiday. I was at my parents' house in Niagara, and it was pouring rain. And I still found myself putting on my shoes and going out for 30 minutes. And that's how I knew that this exercise routine had become a habit. When you fall into a habit, then the things that used to be hard are not so hard anymore. They become easier. I mean, you don't need to think every day about brushing your teeth or about eating breakfast or about turning on the TV. Those things become habits. That's what we need. Just as we develop personal routines, we need to develop family routines that involve God's word. It's going to be hard at first. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes. So, fathers, as the spiritual leaders in your home, I encourage you 
to take the lead here. Whether it means making a commitment yourself or talking with your wife about how you can bring God's word to your children every day, make a commitment. Tell your kids and your, and your wife that you're going to start a regular family routine of bringing God's word to them. And listen, I'm not talking about necessarily having to do something every day, all right? If you're doing something once a week, like on a Sunday evening, you just open up the Bible to the text that was preached on that morning and just say, let's, let's read this, let's talk about what you learned. I mean, you are, you are doing so well. And it may be a matter of time before you just start doing that a little bit more often. Make a commitment, be consistent, and ask your family to hold you accountable. I can't tell you the number of times when we just finished dinner, the kids are noisy, and I have no strength or willpower left to summon them back to the table to open up the Bible. And my daughter says, Daddy, are we going to read the Bible today? I say, of course, sweetie. Let's do that. We need help, and our wives and our kids can help us. Lastly, manage your expectations. A lot of families don't do family devotions because it doesn't seem to make any difference. You know, what's the point when my kids aren't changing? But the problem isn't with the results. The problem is actually with our expectations. We expect that we can just have one significant spiritual conversation, one time of family devotions, and everything's going to be different in our family. And by the grace of God, sometimes that happens, but most of the time, it will take years of daily, regular investment to see any spiritual fruit. You just imagine the, the main analogy in the Bible for teaching God's word. It's sowing seeds. Well, if you're in farming or you've tried to thicken out your, your, your lawn, you know that when you sow seeds, well, the seeds just sit there. I mean, if any of us expected to just sow seeds and see grass sprout, I mean, we know how ridiculous that would be. We, we sow seeds and we water them and we wait. We wait until the time that God sees fit to bring about an abundant harvest out of those seeds. Parents, you need to lower your expectations in the short term and increase your expectations in the long term because Jesus told us that the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed the smallest of the seeds of the garden. But over time, it grows up to become the greatest plant in the garden. Parents, feed yourself, be consistent, manage your expectations. If you do, then God's mission will advance in the world, not only in your kids, but your neighbors will see what a good, godly family is meant to look like. And they will come to worship our God and King and bring him glory that we might see his name exalted and lifted high among the nations. Let's pray. Father, how we need your help in this to teach our kids to love your law, to feast on your word. We are a people of the book the scriptures are meant to be in the culture of every Christian family, and yet we confess that we have often failed. We thank you that you forgive us through Christ, and we thank you that through the Spirit you give us new power and strength to do what is right. And we thank you 
that though you often work through us, you also work despite us. We know that the parents in Deuteronomy failed, and yet your covenant with your people proved true and strong, and your people endured. I pray that you would help us to be faithful and that you would give us faith when we fail to be faithful, that your word would pass on to our children for your glory and for their joy and for the good of the generations to come. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.